Hello, it is June 24th, 2021. This is season 12, episode two, two, back to back of the Soybean Pest Podcast. My name is Matt O'Neill and I'm here with... Hi everyone, I'm Erin Hodson. Erin Hodson, walking all over my introduction. Erin, come on now. Sorry, you left a gap of time or or a, a gap of silence. So I assumed you wanted me to introduce myself. Well, we started um, off already super awkward. Sorry, Matt. That's all right. Um, that's that's, um, that's our gimmick. My long awkward pauses and you stepping over what follows. Yeah. It's pretty good stuff. Um, so we should probably make it clear to our listener why some of that is happening. We're using Zoom to record our audio for this podcast. That's not because either one of us is down with the COVID. We're uh, fully vaxxed, uh, but. I got a new computer and I can't figure out how to hook up my microphone to this new computer. They don't have the same ports anymore. Why couldn't we have the same ports? Why do they have to go and change everything, Aaron? They got to make that money. So I got to go find a tool to hook up that super sweet microphone you got me a couple of years ago. And yeah. anyway, so for now we're doing a Zoom style. Anyway, season two, uh, season 12, episode two, we got so much to talk about. Really? Uh, we got Pest updates. Uh, it rained. I got a fun insect trivia. Is it really fun? And then some uh, announcements of some gigs we got going on. So um, let's hit it. Should we talk about the rain? It rained. Oh my God. It's raining. It, raining. Yeah. I mean, uh, w- last week we were 90 plus dry. There was just a, a hint, a whiff of rain in our future. And then what? On the Sunday, we got at least a half an inch in Ames. And then it rained, what, on Tuesday? This is a Friday. I woke up to rain this morning. We got rain throughout the day promised to us. And then over the weekend, how's that looking out there? Oh, man, we really, really needed it. And kind of statewide, too. So I think according to the drought monitor, some of the state was in D2. And so that's severe drought. So I'm not sure what this recent rain will mean as far as relief, if maybe it gets downgraded or not, but I know just around Ames, the lawns were looking torched. And so it's just so nice for some of the trees and other plant life to get some rain. And the corn uh, pineappling throughout the state, I went out to uh, the east side of the state last week and Oh my God, it was uh, nightmarish. Soybeans look really sad. Um, I mean, even with this rain and if it uh, recharges soil moisture, we're going to see lower than what trend line yield probably for most of the state. Is that fair? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Of course, I'm not a crop physiologist, but this is a time when corn especially is putting a lot of energy into ear formation. Um, and so, yeah, I think it is a really critical time to get some relief. I don't know for some areas how much it will help. We just need maybe a bit more of, of what we're having right now. Yeah. Okay. So that's drought talk. Um, mm. How about some pest updates in light of all the weather changes and your visits to the field, you and your crew? What, yeah. what have you been seeing? Well, I think as we were doing our podcast last week, the first episode, our crew was out at the Johnson farm just south of Ames and uh, a newbie, she's, she's an undergrad. Um, while they were supposed to be looking for bean leaf beetles. Hey, 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 Aaron, Aaron, this, this newbie got a name. 
Yeah, she has a name. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Elena. Elena or Savannah. Or all right, Elena, Savannah. It's all good. Or Olivia. Uh, it was one. We have we have four very nice young people. And one of the Annas. Yes. Yeah. They all kind of sound like grandma names to me. No offense, but um, Fiona, Elena, Savannah, and Olivia. Um, anyway, they were looking for bean leaf beetles and said, Ashley, um, is this what we were supposed to be looking for up at Sutherland? And Ashley's like, oh, well, let me take a look. And she noticed a couple of small plants that were totally loaded up with soybean aphid. Oh. And not only soybean aphid, but they had some um, predators. There was some lady beetles. And also some of the aphids have been mummified by parasitic hey. wasps. And then I think there was also some ant activity as well. So it really cued them into some of these plants. And the weird thing about it is you know, they have been sampling at a few of the northern research farms, including Sutherland, Kanawa, and Nashua, and haven't found any aphids at all. And this is generally where we find our aphids first is in kind of the northern third of the state. Not sure what happened, if it was some of the wind events or who knows what. Um, they sort of skipped the upper part, and we found them in central Iowa. I don't recall this happening before. Matt, do you? Um, we find it central Iowa first. Well, old man Matthew and all his time. Yeah, um, so, yeah, this is June. Um, I've been saying for years that, you know, if you go out in June, you will find an aphid. Yeah. And sometimes you'll get these little pockets. And a couple of things that you described there um, made me go down reminiscence lane. Uh, the ants on that plant and the, yeah. um, and a, I think you shared a picture of this. It was a pretty concentrated uh, uh, local population on that plant. We This is sort of just an observation and a little anecdote, but uh, a couple of years ago when we were doing kind of cage studies, uh, we saw ants moving aphids, soybean aphids, you know, to one part of the plant, kind of concentrating them. Um, yeah, I just wondered if you got some ant tending going on there for the few aphids that showed up. And then as those populations built up, you, you attracted those natural enemies. And the really hopeful thing about all of this, the part that got me really excited when you sent me that uh, picture was the mummies. This is the earliest and the most mummies I've, I think I've ever seen in June for Iowa, yeah. uh, let alone central Iowa. And to our listener um, who may not be an entomologist, the reason this is exciting is uh, there were no parasitoids attacking soybean aphids in Iowa for the first five, six, eight years uh, that the aphid was in Iowa. Only recently, in the last five years, uh, have we seen this level of parasitism, but usually it happens later in the year, late July, you know, early August, when the populations kind of build up and you know, there's enough of those aphids for these little wasps to take advantage of. For them to be parasitized, mummied, this early in the season is really exciting because it suggests a couple of things. One, locally, maybe those wasps survived the winter and are there to attack the aphids as they arrived, or, heaven forbid, uh, they showed up with the parasitoid in them. And that's, that's kind of cool. But looking at the picture, those mummies didn't have wings on them. So it's not that the, the, the flying aphid, the alate, showed up 
and you know the parasitoid took advantage uh, finally activated and started uh, feeding on it after it uh, settled on the plant it looks like another generation of aphids produced by that winged aphid that colonized the plant was parasitized so just doing my little you know ratiocination um sherlock holmes thing i'm thinking yeah maybe it was a uh, a wasp that survived the winter that found that population and is taking advantage of it producing these mummies and generating yet another round of wasps that'll uh, attack the next generation of aphids. And this is good news. This is great news uh, for uh, soybean farmers because it suggests that this 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 type of natural enemy is present in Iowa and is going to provide uh, another form of biological control, mortality uh, for this pest going forward. So as, yeah. As, I, have, I have a couple thoughts too, Matt. Yeah, last, last week when we got this message, now I, I was in south southeastern Minnesota for a, a totally unrelated project. And it reminded me that um, 20 years ago, last week, is when I found soybean aphids for the first time in Minnesota. It sort of kicked it was off. 20 years ago today. Yeah. Uh, and it was really kicked off my PhD dissertation work. But also at that time, my advisor, Dave Ragsdale, and colleague, George Heimpel, made multiple trips to China looking for those parasitoids um, because soybean aphid is considered sort of a secondary pest over there. And it, when I saw the mummies in that photo, it reminded me that that was exactly their observation. They would have a couple of plants that were infested, but they were heavily parasitized and they never really got to take off and become a primary pest. And so I was also very excited. I've never seen mummies like this so early in the season. Usually it's after uh, the reproductive stage. And so you might see mummies building up, but to have that uh, baseline of parasitoids so early gives me uh, a lot of hope. And uh, yeah, in the couple of the plants that I saw uh, pictures of from our crew, you know, they had 50 plus aphids, which to me is a sign that they've been there for at least a week. And you're right. I think it's like individual plants at this point. Plants are very small. They're, I think, B4, B5. So they're they're not to a point where the canopy is closed. And so I don't know if they really can move, but I, you know, I think um, they were colonizing the trifoliates and also the stems. So indicating me, they've been there for a while. So I was also wondering, did the, the wasps come over with those migrating winged aphids or are the wasps overwintering within or nearby fields and queuing in yeah. on the ants or the mummies or, or sorry, the ants or the, the nymphs or whatever they're queuing on during the summer? Hey, can I focus on one thing you just said there? Yeah. You said you're right. <laughs> I just like that. So we make sure. Do we write that down in a uh, permanent journal or something like that? I don't know, but uh, you're writing. Make... Okay. <laughs> 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 I want to make sure our listener heard that. Aaron yes. said at the uh, 10 minute, 15 second mark, you're right. Um, you know, okay, so uh, I'll joke aside. Um, the bit about sort of where these, aph the, these aphid killing wasps come from is one that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not, I don't think it's an academic uh, uh, question because uh, 
if you want this kind of mortality, if you want this extra level of killing for your aphids in a soybean field, you got to you got to make a happy little home for these wasps. And I, I don't think we know where they are, except uh, one little observation from a few years ago. Uh, we hired a honest to goodness waspologist, a biocontrol uh, specialist that was trained by George Heimpel. You remember Matt? Heck yes. Yeah. Matt Kaiser. Um, Matt Kaiser, who now works for uh, California Department of Ag, uh, doing biological control for invasive species out there. Anyway, Matt uh, was helping us with some releases of these uh, wasps and studying uh, their impact on aphids, especially early in the season. But late in the season, he was going around. So late in the season, I mean, September, October, he was going around to Buckthorn looking for aphids and evidence of mummies and doing this again in the spring. And he found them at both times. Mm -hmm. So that to me, I mean, it was one observation. It was just one stand, but I was shocked because I told him, it's like, man, I never find aphids on uh, buckthorn in the spring. And he's like, well, uh, okay, I, I guess I was doing this right, but I found some and they're, they're parasitized. I'm like, wow, that's cool. So that suggests to me that, uh, there's the potential that these wasps are in those more perennial patches where buckthorn is found. And as much as that buckthorn can be a source of the aphid, it can also be a source of these natural enemies. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I know you have several projects with uh, perennial strips. I don't know if you've been sampling any of those perennial plants and seeing aphids, but I've noticed um, some pretty thick stands of milkweed aphid um, in crop or nearby crop fields, but also my backyard. And I also see, I don't know what kind of aphid it is, but it's feeding on my bee balm. And they are, they're loving the weather lately. I don't know exactly what it is, but, um, you know, I would expect to hear some of those issues about honeydew on sidewalks from trees and things like that. Um, have you been hearing any, anything like that? Uh, no, uh, okay. but going back to something you asked, have you, uh, you asked me if I had uh, tracked, scouted, explored the aphids in prairies. And uh, years ago, oh my gosh, old man O'Neill talking about the past. Uh, he, uh, Wayne Onasor, who is uh, extension specialist at uh, the University of Nebraska system, he did a project where he was tracking the aphid community, community found in prairies throughout the growing season. And he found um, dozens of species and he documented when and where and what plants they were on. He also documented the natural enemies that attacked them. So, you know, how often he saw and what types of predators and parasitoids. Um, the one thing that you mentioned, you said bee balm, is that Monarda fistulosa? Uh, I have no idea. Sorry, I don't know a lot of scientific names of plants. Um, yeah, I, I get them confused with the common names. But one of the uh, the reason I bring that up is uh, there was some work, work done by George Heimpel and uh, his crew up in Minnesota. Um, they were they were exploring what native aphids these parasitoids might attack, and they wouldn't attack things like the I think they're Uralucons the genus that you see on milkweed. Those are two uh, kind of off in the distance uh, evolutionarily for those parasitoids to attack. They, they would attack things more closely related 
to the soybean aphid. And there was one aphid on uh, Monarda, which I think goes by the common name bee balm. Uh, and it would attack that aphid, but it didn't attack it when that aphid was in the flowers because it was too hard for the, uh, the uh, wasp to get into the, where the aphid was hiding. Um, okay. Yeah, so, uh, but we found uh, with Wayne uh, that those aphids on bee balm throughout the season and um, yeah, occasionally saw some parasitism, but you know, a lot of predators. Um, to make a long story short, there are a lot of aphids out there in prairies, on, on trees. They're not as species rich as say bees. I think there's something like 400 species, maybe 450 species of aphids in North America. To put that in perspective, there's 4,000 species of bees in North America. Um, it's not a competition, it's just, you know, kind of put some perspective on it. And these wasps didn't attack at least the, the ones that were tested, the more distantly related aphids. So to our listener and maybe others out there who have some concern for pest management, this is one where uh, a lot of study went in before those wasps that were observed by your boss back when you were a graduate student, Dave Ragsdale and um, uh, George Heimpel. There was a lot of work done to determine just how safe they could be if brought over here. And that passed uh, uh, the test when it came to uh, USDA reviewing the data. They gave permits and permission to release a, a few species. And now we're starting to see that take hold. You know, it takes time you know, for these critters to establish. And now we just hope that their establishment is such that they're having a big enough impact that it'll pay off later in the season. So yeah. you're going to keep going back to this location that the the old timey uh, named girls uh, that are scouting for you. Are they going weekly? back? They're going to go back to that site weekly. Is that fair well, to say? They're, they're, they were there because of a, a bean leaf beetle evaluation. So they are going back. Uh, they go there at least weekly. Yeah. So we'll but, get some updates yeah. next week for what they might've seen if that spread or if it disappeared. Yeah, I think so. And just to fact check, yes, bee balm is Monarda. And, um, can I put another hashtag in the column? Right. You're right. You're right, right twice. Yes. But a minus one because there's about 1,500 species of aphids in North America. 1,500. All right. You know what? I don't know if I like this uh, fact checking while we're podcasting. We have to review. Thanks, that. Google. <laughs> Still less than bees, though, right? Oh, yeah. Definitely. All right. All right. Definitely. So I get another hashtag there for yeah, uh, another. Right. OK. Hey, should we stop the beat, the uh, aphid talk? Because that's been about that's about 15 minutes on aphids. Well, what are the just, just to say that um, I can't remember if I talked about it last week, but there is sort of a surge of pea aphids going on in alfalfa right now in northern Iowa. So um, that is a pest in which a few situations people attempted to use a pyrethroid and got really poor performance. And so. I just don't know enough about that species, um, but I think it does have pyrethroid resistance in other parts of the U.S. I just don't know. I haven't heard of that in Iowa. So um, they were talking about resprays and things like that. Uh, so that that could be an, an issue this year for some. Is that Mises persicae is the species name for pea aphids? No, I think that's green peach aphid. That's green. Okay. Or, well, let me ask the Googs. Why are we even podcasting? We should just have Google podcast for us. Um, 
acrothosiphon pisum. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not great with Linnaeus, the uh, scientific thing. You know what I mean? I went to public school. We didn't study Latin. So did I. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's APHA talk for uh, episode two. Any other insect pests? Um, happening right now is Japanese beetle emerges. I'm guessing if people are looking, they're going to find a few in crop fields and also in urban areas. Um, one thing about that, I Hey, I actually do some field work. You know, I'm not always just sitting coffee checking emails. Uh, saw some false Japanese beetles, as you had predicted last week. Uh, saw some of them out in the field. Uh, and what is it like a week or so after that? When you see the false adult Japanese beetles, you you could hope to see some of the real ones. And you're shaking your head yes, which is oh, a sorry. Yes, you are yeah. correct. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, another hashtag there for Matt. <laughs> up to four. Um, You're on yeah, fire. So, so uh, this is going to start a week-long emergence, or weeks, weeks of, of adults emerging and picking up. So, yeah, some need to be a little bit thoughtful about scouting and maybe too soon to pull any triggers, but you want to get a sense of where they are and what kind of damage they might do. Is there going to be a nice lineup with the adult Japanese beetles and corn silking and tasseling, you think? Yeah, there usually is. I mean, the thing that I worry about is if you have drought stress corn and they feed on on silks that aren't in great shape, it can interfere with pollination. But also just some of the soybean fields are still quite small. They're, they, you know, they're, the canopy hasn't closed. And so the defoliation can appear very dramatic at this time of the year. So, yeah, I think it's, it's way too early to make any treatment decisions, but just to keep that in mind. So uh, on smaller younger plants is defoliation a bigger impact on yield than it would be later in the season no but it looks more bad it looks it looks more i don't know how else to discuss more bad or devastating this is, bad. Like, this is this is demonstrating the difference between an entomologist and an etymologist yeah yeah look bad more bad all right look more bad so uh as as more bad as it looks it, the impact isn't as great as as you might think. So, right. and you've got somewhere thresholds that that take account the growth stage of the plant, right? For defoliation and soybean. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I'm a lumper, and so I would lump all defoliators at at thirty percent before bloom and twenty percent after bloom, which is really hard to achieve in soybean. Okay. Uh, what else? When it comes um, this is not necessarily an agricultural thing, but I know one of our listeners is from Nebraska. Uh, oh, we have more than one listener? Oh yeah, yeah, Jody um, said, hey, just appreciated the podcast coming back. But I also learned from her last night that they found kissing bugs in Nebraska. Oh, yeah, oh, that's, that's a range expansion, huh? A yeah. little bit. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're known to vector a disease that causes Chagas, or they're known to vector a parasite that causes Chagas disease. So I don't know if you had experience with that in a former life when you were in outside of North America, but. No, um, so yeah, this is Rodnus, uh, uh, Rodnus prixilis, pro, 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 um, 
it's a regivid. Uh, we might call them wheel bugs in, in, for certain species, but Rodneus is a vector of Chagas disease, and um, it's a, a problem in South America. Uh, I spent some time in West Africa. We had we had all kinds of diseases that were vectored by insects, but not that one. And if you watch the movie Beaches, Beaches with Bette Midler, she dies. Oh, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen Beaches with Bette Midler. She dies of a disease that uh, sounds an awful lot like Chagas disease. It uh, gets into your body, infects your heart, weakens your heart, and mm, you die. And it takes a long time to get to that point, uh, but... Yeah, it's a it's a beast. Uh, oh, so that, they, according to Nebraska, they called it Triatoma sanguza, sanguzuga, or the eastern blood sucking cone nose. You know, etymologists are known for naming things. Um, yeah, I put a link um, that hopefully we can include in the in the summary if you want to learn more about the detection in Nebraska. Yeah, I I thought Rod maybe Rodney's is an older name, but. Um, there's a history of, um, oh, and the, of um, that species re, that uh, or species that transmit Chagas being used as a model for studying insect molting uh, by um, a very famous, well, very famous in entomology world, very famous insect physiologist, V.S. You know the last name? V.S. V.S. Wigglesworth. Oh, best last name ever. Yeah, I mean, that guy was born to be an entomologist. Was it too oh. late to change my last name? <laughs> All right, so those are pest updates. Any more to add? That's what's happening right now in my world. All right, well, um, let's transition to, uh, oh my God, Aaron, we've been doing this for 25 minutes. No one's listening past this. Yes, but they are. Let's, uh, let's do a fun insect trivia, and uh, I'm going to... Uh, ask you this question. This is a visual one. So uh, I know I make fun of you when you shake your head yes and no when we're podcasting, but um, I can't really think of a better way to do this. I will post the picture in the box for our podcast so our listener can see uh, what you're about to see. But okay. Aaron, yeah, tell me what this is. This I saw this on vacation. Oh, no. I thought of you. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy's right. All right. Um, Vacation to the East Coast, you should remind folks. Um, yeah, it was a vacation. Uh, hold on. How do I make this thing work? Uh, I don't know. It's your Zoom, man. All right. All right, Aaron. Can you see that? Yeah. What is that? Are they spotted, spotted lanternfly nymphs? Oh my God, you're so good. Uh, she crushed that one right mm -hmm. out the gate. Mm -hmm. They're very distinctive. Yeah, these were uh, all over a bunch of different plants that I saw when I was on vacation. And uh, the sponsored lantern fly, it's actually not a fly, right? It's a, a bug, a true bug. Um, in the same order as aphids, but in a different family, uh, they get much larger than, um, than soybean aphids or aphids, especially in the adult stage. And I've been told they look really pretty. What's that? Yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah, even the nymphs are kind of stunning. I was like, this black and white, yeah. yeah. 
but the the disturbing thing was just how frequently I ran into these. Mm. Uh, but the one kind of hopeful thing, or I thought interesting, was typically if I saw them, they were on exotic plants. So in the gardens and all that I was visiting and, and friends' houses, if they had potted plants of something like a fig tree or uh, you know some exotic plant that came out of Asia, yeah, there there would be these bugs on, but the native plants didn't see them. And yeah, it's kind of an interesting observation and one that's been noted for a lot of exotic species and invasive species that, um, you know, if you have exotic plants, that can be a host for them in a way that the native plants are not, so. That's interesting. Good observation, Matt. Well, that was, hey, hey you know what, Aaron? That's what? one of your column. That's right. First fit of the year, and you got it. Let's keep Thanks. the streak alive, see what you get next week. Yeah. All right. So uh, to kind of wrap up, uh, we did pest updates. We had a fun insect trivia. Was it fun? It was fun. Okay. All right. And uh, any uh, to wrap up here, any gigs you got going on? Anything you need to promote, tell the people about? Where can they find Aaron out in the field? Well, you can find me on Twitter. That's a good way to follow some of my activities, uh, Aaron W. Hudson. Um, but today I'm going to Nashua for a field day, so I'm leaving in a few minutes. And then I have some other field days happening in northwest Iowa near Sutherland and a couple of gigs at Feel, which is located very close to Ames, so central Iowa. Are those open to the public? Yeah, some of them are. Some of them aren't. If somebody uh, wants... Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, if somebody wanted to find these, can they see these on your Twitter feed or your website? Yep, okay. yep definitely. Um, and in addition to that, this week we launched a new website to monitor for corn rootworm adult trapping throughout the north central region and also Canada. So um, I can put that link on there if you're interested to learn more about adult activity uh, going on, not only in Iowa, but beyond um, with the help of Ashley Dean and through the... Um, Ontario Department of Agriculture. They've helped us develop the software for some mapping features for adults. Erin, you're crushing. I mean, thanks to Ashley on this one because she's done a lot of legwork in the last six months to get this website launched. Oh, this is awesome. Okay, oh, um, I just, my brain's all scattered. I'm so excited to talk to you. I should point out, going back to our fit, we have not had sightings of the spotted lanternfly in Iowa. As far as I know, you are correct. Yeah, so that was just a fun trivia question. Uh, maybe get people prepped if, if they ever happen to see it out here. But so far, that range has not extended into Iowa. So, hey, and if you want to talk more about that insect, or if you happen to have a passion for pollinators, guess what? You're in luck. June 26th, this coming Saturday, from 10 to 2, Ryman Gardens on the south side of the ISU campus is Pollinator Fest. It's a one-day event uh, to learn everything that Iowa State and others in Central Iowa are doing to celebrate, study, conserve, uh, and enjoy pollinators. A lot of bee stuff, but not limited to bee stuff. There'll be some monarch people there. Uh, I'll have a, a honey-tasting booth. There'll be some... Um, uh, demonstrations of uh, well pinned insects showing the different diversities of um, 
different diversities. The diversity of pollinators in Iowa. Ooh, you'll also see the, the, the collection of stinging insects and an explanation for how they do their dirty business. So yeah, Ramen Gardens, 10 to 2, Pollinator Fest. Be there. Let's do it. Yeah. Capping off National Pollinator Week. Yep. So did we do it, Aaron? I think we've wrapped up uh, episode number two. Yeah, it was a good long, one. Guess how long we've been we're talking. We talked about aphids for about 20 minutes, so that yeah. makes me happy. <laughs> and if the, if the listener woke up, there was another 15 minutes of content about <laughs> things not aphids. So. Okay, let's wrap it up. Yeah, thanks, See you Matt. next week. Peace out.